Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley celebrating Bay Area innovators. Good afternoon. This is your host, Vanessa Ng. Joining us today is Iklok Siju, the founding director of the Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology at UC Berkeley. Today, we'll explore the founding of Skydeck, a startup incubator at UC Berkeley. We'll also discuss the Berkeley method of entrepreneurship. Thank you for joining us today, Iklok. So, what is Skydeck? Give us some background history. Okay, all right. I'm happy to uh, uh, fill you in on on the history and and talk about other things as well. So um, I I should say, first of all, that um, uh, I'm the academic director for the Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology, and this is something that we started in 2005 out of the College of Engineering. It's almost been 10 years since we started it, and its mission um, includes some things that um, that Skydeck um, has grown into. So a little bit of uh, understanding of both might be relevant. The mission of the Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology is pretty much what you would think. It's to educate, and probably more more so engineers and scientists, but really all students on the Berkeley campus, how to innovate, how to productize, how to commercialize technology, and have a perspective in a global economy. And we have many students, um, probably about a thousand students a year that take classes in topics that are related to this. About three years into the development of the center, one of the um, things that we started to do was not only have classroom activity, but also to have incubation or to um, have a place and even some awards and connections to venture capitalists and to the relevant people and stakeholders for um, for actually growing ventures. And so uh, we started that sometime back. That's probably around the 2007 or 2008 time frame. And we had amazing success with the few teams that we would pick either out of our classes or across the campus in general. Almost uh, half of those teams would grow up and become um, self-standing ventures. Now, we were very careful in selecting, but out of that small set, we, we had a lot of success. And out of that model, we realized um, collectively on the campus that uh, acceleration is really an important thing. It's not only something that you teach in classes, but you you do this in real life. And Skydeck came just a little bit after these experiments had happened, and Skydeck is now the 10,000 square feet of acceleration space that's on the top floor of 2150 Shattuck. It's in downtown Berkeley. There's about 20-plus teams of new ventures that are incubating and being accelerated on that floor. And that's really what Skydeck is. It's the culmination of the education and the research, and we see it in these early startup companies that um, show or almost highlight the creativity of the students and of the research that comes out of this institution. So are the teams that are being incubated by Skydeck composed primarily of Berkeley students? 
the teams that are in Skydeck are a mix of Berkeley students who have taken classes in various entrepreneurial programs, and they have gotten to the stage where they are more polished and ready to be accelerated, and also teams of graduate students or graduate students and faculty that have incubated their early ideas within research projects that go on on the campus, and they have also gotten to a stage where the story and the narrative and the um, the work that they're doing is ready to to be commercialized. So it's both. It's it's a research output and it's a, um, a curriculum output that that results in these students. One other thing, if I can uh, just add that, is that Skydeck is a collaboration of the College of Engineering, of the Haas Business School, and of the Vice Chancellor of Research. Uh, so um, it's really all of these communities that come together and and make Skydeck the accelerator that it is. It's quite interesting for a university to help fund and found its own incubator. Could you tell us about what you see as the relation between academic research and the commercialization of that research? So it's not that this is completely a unique idea in academics, but, you know, what's causing the need for it, not just at Berkeley, but, you know, all across the country and, in fact, all over the world, is that there's a category of research, which is fundamental knowledge creation. It's over long periods of time that um, that the understanding is, is used, and it's a very important part of research. It's, it's theoretical and fundamental. But there's also research which is applied, and um, the applications of that research are more valuable when they are seen, when people understand what they are, when they are used. And the idea by itself doesn't reach people or it doesn't scale without investment dollars and without customers who who value it and without the the research being adjusted in a way that people can use it. And that's really part of what commercialization is about. So one, to have visibility of all of the amazing work that goes on on this campus, that's one very important reason to uh, to have an activity like Skydeck. And more than the visibility is the actual good that this work does when it um, gets placed in a uh, commercial setting. Do you find that the impetus to scale and to commercialize then pushes the research that students do in unexpected directions? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think Berkeley's been a place, uh, has a history of, uh, I'm going to say diversity, diversity in thought, diversity in ideas. And I think there's a place for, um, there's a very large place for theoretical and fundamental work. But um, the state of California and the people in California are also interested in those aspects of their research which make people's lives better, which have societal value, which they can buy to save time or to entertain people in different ways. And that's also an important part. And so I think there's a balance. I don't think one is right, but certainly I don't think it's exclusive that work should be in one category or the other. What happens afterwards for people who go through all the programs run by the Center for Entrepreneurship? 
it's been quite some years. You know, I think by now we must have like four or five thousand alumni that have you know come through our our programs, and many have started companies and and they run these companies independently. But there's a lot of people that you know go through the programs and they have a learning experience. And they go to work somewhere, and they do well. And so by now, a lot of these, you know, many of our alumni are well placed in very good companies, or that the little company that they started got acquired by a bigger company, and now they've done well in in that larger company. And so we have alumni who are executives, I guess is maybe the the right word, as well as entrepreneurs in in the Bay Area. I'll tell you this one story from Venture Lab some time back, which is we had these undergraduate students, and they had an iPad application and stood up on the stage, and they presented it, and everyone was like, wow, that's really cool. I mean, they they did a great job in just their few minutes. And right after that, um, not more than a month, maybe maybe two months or something like that, they, they came back into my office, and they said, well, you know what? Um, I think we want to um, drop out of school. And, you know, my first question is, have you talked to your parents about this? <laughs> and they explained that since that time, they had, you know, a million or more dollars of funding for their for, for their project. And there was another little caveat that they had spending so much time on this that they let all their classes suffer. And, you know, if they continued with the semester, they would have basically gotten bad grades in, in all of these things. And they had gone, they'd done some research, and they figured out that if they drop here, there's a way for them to get back into school a year later. It's not really like ending, but they could actually take a break of a sort is what it is and do this experiment. And they had you know, a relatively large amount of money that they could, could build their company with. So I'm like, so listen, as a person who teaches these classes and so forth, I cannot tell you that you should drop out of school. That's just beyond what I'm like allowed to say here. But um, you know, whatever you decide to do, talk to your parents, talk to administration, to just know what you're doing. It's, you know, it's really up, up to you to, to decide what you want to do. But as I internalize this and I think about this, what they are about to do is take this money and run this company, and they're going to be the CTO and the CEO and so forth of this company. And you can bet that that next job that they're going to apply for one day is a lot better after having done whatever they're about to do for the next year than it would be if they took one more class in what they were doing. So again, like I would never say like, oh, you should do that. That would be really outside of the kind of advice that, that I can give. But as I think about it, they did very well. I mean, and I don't know, you know, what exactly happened and how many pivots they had and what that translated into, but they had great skills. By going through this process, they had just amazingly great skills, and and I have no doubt that they'll be successful no matter which way they go. So there's a balance to to this uh, conversation, and uh, for some people, pursuing their entrepreneurial dream is is a great opportunity. But let me give you the other side to the, to that story. So for all of the people who say, hey, just join a venture, you'll learn while you're here, and why do you want to spend your time in this classroom and that classroom, and you know, you could get paid to learn. That's the kind of argument that you hear on that side. You know, what I'll tell you is that all of these companies that grow up 
and are you know there's one Bill Gates and there's one there's you know and there's one Mark Zuckerberg and and so forth and yes they came out of school and they built some enormous and and great organizations but all those organizations who are they hiring they want to hire people who finish school <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the end, a company is not just a few entrepreneurs who will take that challenge and will not bother about all these conventions. You need certain specializations. It doesn't matter how entrepreneurial you are. You cannot be a doctor because you're entrepreneurial. <laughs> no one's going to let you operate on them just because you think you can. And when organizations need to hire people, they need to hire people with exact skills to do accounting right and to not mess up the taxes when they file them, and to do everything that the company needs to do. You're listening to Method to the Madness on KALX Berkeley. Today we have Iklak Sidhu, the founding director of the Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology at UC Berkeley. He's here to speak to us today about Skydeck and the Berkeley Method of Entrepreneurship. You're very involved with the Berkeley Method of Entrepreneurship here at Cal. Could you tell us more about this method? Yeah. So um, first, I should say that um, the Berkeley method of entrepreneurship is a um, uh, is a teaching methodology. It's a holistic approach to helping people become entrepreneurs or teaching them how they can be entrepreneurs. And it was developed by myself and with um, my co-director, the managing director of the center, Ken Singer. And in many ways, it's been developed over many years. So we've been teaching people how to become entrepreneurs or um, yeah basically how to become entrepreneurs in our classes for as i said you know almost 10 years now and we've had a number of experiments some things work well and some things don't work as well and we've learned over this period of time well in the last few years we've come to the state where we can codify it we can explain what has worked well and what has not worked well um, better than, say, we could have five years ago. And so now when I think about teaching people to be entrepreneurs, I think that there's three types of support or knowledge that we can give them. And one of these types of support is the types of things that you would read in uh, various entrepreneurship books. That can be books that are about lean launch or ideas like pivots or milestone-based planning or how you um, work out the mechanics of venture term sheets or, you know, all of those types of ideas um, that are more or less expressed in, in the process of how you, you start companies and, and are in books. I think that's, that's one category of things. And, and quite often in classes, that's what people teach. There's another thing, and Skydex, a great example of the infrastructure that you have to provide to allow entrepreneurship to happen. So, you know, that is both the space and clear rules on intellectual property and the networks of investors and the way that you can connect to uh, mentors and angel investors and to first customers and all of that kind of infrastructure that, that um, incubators and accelerators can provide. But quite often there there's this missing piece. And the missing piece is what's going on in people's heads. It's their mindset. And um, mindset is, is basically, um, in part, it's the way that you see things. And it's a, a certain set of beliefs that you have. And that results in different behaviors that you take. So a person with an entrepreneurial mindset can 
look at a certain situation and they will act in a way that will lead them to pursue something entrepreneurial. Whereas someone with without that mindset will look exactly at the same situation and they may just want to be as far away from that situation as possible. They they don't see that as an opportunity. They, they see this is something that's not interesting to them. And by seeing things in certain ways, you behave in different ways. And entrepreneurs tend to have a certain set of behaviors. And when entrepreneurs are in a community and they're sharing this mindset with each other, they that's what an entrepreneurial culture is. And Bay Area, of course, has a very strong entrepreneurial culture. And learning the entrepreneurial culture, these unwritten rules of how you proceed and, and go about and work with other people, that's a really important part of being an entrepreneur. And so we're we're combining all three of these layers together in our approach to teaching it. I'll just explain what some of these behaviors are. Um, that would be a natural question, I, I would think. Probably the most obvious one is how resilient people are to certain situations. So um, how resilient are you to when people say no to you for something? Um, some people take it much harder, or they, they would not want to ask for something if they thought that there's a, even a chance that the answer might be no. But entrepreneurs have to ask for things where the answer is no all the time. And um, they can't take that hard at all. In fact, they have to realize that after someone says no to you, nothing bad actually happened. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, that's, you know, they might want to ask a follow-up question, like why not, but nothing bad is actually happening by asking for something where the answer is no. Or sometimes when things don't go right, you know, how resilient are you to to effectively the failure and do you look at it that way? But there's more than than only resilience and, and, and accepting of experiments that fail and so forth in entrepreneurial culture. Uh, one is how quickly you trust people. If you can trust people quickly and you can share information quickly, you're likely to get feedback much faster than other people, and so your ideas evolve faster. Another is how you negotiate with people. Do you negotiate zero-sum, uh, meaning that anything that you think you can get in the negotiation is something that they are going to give up or lose, or do you negotiate for the long term, really, to try to get fairness for both sides. You know, people who negotiate for the short term, uh, they can't count on these people and this help um, the next time around or even a little while later on. And as soon as the situation turns in the favor that the other person has a little bit more capability or resource or power, uh, that person is no longer helpful to them. And so learning to negotiate in a way that is accretive, that, that, you know, that lets people turn one plus one into three, you know, that type of negotiation is very common with, with entrepreneurs. Very important for entrepreneurs on a um, cultural, entrepreneurial culture basis is the diversity of networks that they are part of. So it turns out, and you can, you can think this through logically, that people who are very similar with each other just don't have that much to trade with each other. So if you're given a job and you're both completely the same, maybe you can do the job in half the time. That, that's, that's fine. But 
if you're trying to create value, usually one person brings one thing and another person brings another thing, and then now they can trade their skills with each other and they can accomplish more than they could have when they were just one person. So if you buy into the idea that value comes from diversity of the people that are working together, um, the problem is that the people that you're most naturally wanting to talk to and spend time with are the people that are the most similar to you. So you have to overcome your social barriers to want to spend time with people that are not like you. And you have to be in networks of people who are different than you. And that's very common for entrepreneurs, that they are able to overcome these networks quite easily and so forth. So we have a list of 10 of these types of behaviors that entrepreneurs have, and we um, infuse that into our teaching models so that we're not only teaching how do you um, negotiate a term sheet, but we're teaching these very fundamental um, behaviors that are much more likely to make you a successful entrepreneur. Do you think an entrepreneur can really be made? Yeah, I actually think you can make an entrepreneur. I, I do. And in, I can almost say that the research uh, verifies that. I don't want to make too strong a statement on that just because you never know how that will come <laughs> back to you. But what we've discovered is that entrepreneurs are the only group of people among three sets of people, entrepreneur, innovator, manager, and engineer. We, we took those three sets. And we discovered that entrepreneurs were the only ones that continued to be comfortable and became more comfortable over time outside of their comfort zone. And everybody else after high school regresses just a little bit with how comfortable they are outside of their comfort with ambiguity. That means comfort with deciding to, that you will do something even though you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And so if you put these two ideas together, that you can only grow when you're comfortable being outside your comfort zone, and the fact that entrepreneurs are the one category of people that continue to, to be comfortable outside their comfort zone, and the fact that a growth mindset can be taught. It's proven. It's, it's shown that it has to do with the reinforcement of you know, what, what you get reinforced for. So we feel strongly that you can be reinforced for behaviors that would let you stay outside your comfort zone and that you could therefore create more entrepreneurs. Not sure it means that every single person can be an entrepreneur, but we can train people in such a way that they're all more likely to be an entrepreneur. And there's also other issues. Just because you can be an entrepreneur doesn't mean that you want to. And so you have to personally decide that that's what you want to do, which is separate from your capabilities. What are some of the training practices or specific exercises that you have students do to gain this new mindset or gain entrepreneurial capabilities? So we actually use games and exercises built into our courses uh, 
to to reinforce these types of behaviors. An example that you know you could start to understand. Let's go back to the uh, getting comfortable with people saying no to you. So we have our students go out in little groups, and one of them um, vid- uh, uses their cell phone and um, videotapes, basically. And the other person walks up to a complete stranger, a person they don't know, and asks them for something unreasonable, where the answer is very likely to be no. And they uh, make them ask the question, and they get them on, on the video, and they submit the video. That's their homework. And so people will will ask for crazy things. Occasionally, the person will even say yes. <laughs> and that <laughs> happens too. And so there are certain situations, I guess, where they didn't realize that that wasn't c- completely as unreasonable as, as they thought. So that's one on, on the resilience side. But there's things that you can do in um, how you tell stories or, you know, how you communicate with other people and how, how easily did they understand what it was that you were communicating. There, there's a number of games, basically. And the watching yourself is an important aspect of that because not only do you have to go through the game, but then when you see what you look like trying to do that thing, um, that's part of the learning and that helps you overcome it. I was wondering if we could now shift gears and talk a little bit about you. Could you tell us a little about your background and how you came to Berkeley? Um, all right. So I uh, have three degrees in electrical engineering through PhD. I spent almost 10 years running advanced development or large portions of advanced development. I used to run about a third of the advanced development for a 3Com corporation. Uh, I was um, a chief technical officer for a 3G wireless infrastructure company. And in 2002, I came back into academics, and I was a visiting professor at University of Illinois, and I started the entrepreneurship program, or grew the entrepreneurship program there in Champaign, Illinois. And in 2005, I was contacted by Berkeley, and in fact, the dean at that time, Richard Newton, uh, he said, well, you know, if you can start an entrepreneurship program in Illinois, you should really be able to start one in the Bay Area at Berkeley. It seemed to make some sense to me. So in 2005, I came here. I have an appointment in industrial engineering and operations research. I um, My first role here was really to create this uh, entrepreneurship center at Berkeley, And um, along the way, I created a number of other things. One was this Venture Lab. Uh, One is the A. Richard Newton Distinguished Innovator Lecture Series. One is uh, I wrote the proposal for the uh, Fung Institute for Engineering Leadership and uh, became the founding chief scientist of this institute. And um, probably just a a number of other related activities to, to entrepreneurship and innovation. I was wondering if there were any childhood inspirations or life experiences that set you on this path. For some reason, I had a very early and natural interest to build things when when I was small. Um, I used to, um, um, you know, I mean, starting out with with the simple things, but by fifth or sixth grade, I was building a some sort of photography laboratory, and then I built a darkroom timer out of parts from 
um, Radio Shack, and I was building my own clock. By ninth grade, I had built a a method or some machinery to transmit sound over optical pulses so that you could play a tape recorder. They had tape recorders. <laughs> and it would go into a little laser and it would be received on the other end. If you put your hand in between the receiver and the transmitter, the sound would stop and take your hand away and it would continue on. Uh, so, it, you know, it was di- digital pulse code modulation. And I brought that in and basically like the first day of science class in ninth grade, and you know the teacher was just like, well, I guess, um, <laughs> I guess you're like way ahead of everybody here. <laughs> so somehow I just knew that I wanted to do things in engineering. I was also wondering what made you want to get more involved in academia after your time in industry. First of all, I probably spent you know ten plus years or something in school, so a significant amount of time getting my PhD and being trained in that way. And then I spent probably an equal amount of time in industry and, you know, both building product and developing intellectual property and so forth. I have 61 patents, actually, that were developed, you know, during that period of time. And while I was in industry, I couldn't help but notice that there were a lot of things that just weren't taught in school. And if only I had known some of those things, it would make my industry life more effective, more productive, and so forth. So for me, it's really full circle, which is that when the opportunity came to then spend the next set of years back in the academic setting, the, the motivation was that I could bring back the experiences that I had had both in larger companies and as in an entrepreneurial environment in, in the new venture, back into the academics. And that's why the Entrepreneurship Center actually just made so much sense for me. And ultimately, that's the value and that's also the kind of reward that I get from the study of these things and the teaching of these things. Now, if any of our listeners has questions or comments, how can they get in touch with you? I think the the uh, first thing is you should look at our website, cet.berkeley.edu, and of course the uh, Skydeck website as well. And um, I, I have to say that I'm probably pretty easy to find. You could easily Google me. Thank you for joining us today on Method to the Madness, Iklak. It's been a pleasure. If you have questions or comments about this show, go to the KALX website and find Method to the Madness. Drop us an email. Tune in again in two weeks at this same time. Have a great weekend.